So we are going to begin in verse 21 of Proverbs chapter 3. And this is what God's word says. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for you and for your soul and adornment, adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. And when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, because the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. But do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. And do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, and he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives grace. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this passage, and we thank you for this opportunity uh, to study it together. And Lord, we do pray that as we uh, dive into this passage, that you would give us clarity, that you would give us uh, illumination, Lord, as we seek to understand uh, these words that you have uh, recorded for us. And, And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you have given these words to us Uh, to sanctify us, to uh, edify us, to teach us about yourself and about what you expect of us as your people. And so, Lord, as we continue with this time of study in your word, we pray that you would bless it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was first learning how to drive, uh, I don't know if some of you were like this, but when I was first learning how to drive, it was kind of a scary thing. Um, I remember the first drive that I ever did, um, I I was so nervous that I accidentally blew a stop sign. (laughs) And uh, so I remember my driver's ed instructor, she stomped on the pedals in in the middle of the intersection because I had blown through this stop sign and I was so like mortified. And, uh, so in the beginning, I was a little bit, you know, I was a little nervous, a little timid. And, you know, it's like you don't, you don't know how to drive, right? You're, you're learning this new thing. And so the longer you do it, the more confidence you have. Um, and one of, the, one of the other things that I struggled with initially was knowing where to focus my vision as I drove. And so one of the mistakes that I made early on is as I was driving, I would tend to focus too close in front of the vehicle and what that caused is it actually kind of caused me to swerve a little bit and to kind of make, make it look like, you know, there was an idiot driving the car. Um, and I would kind of, you know, there was kind of this instability that was going on because I didn't have my attention focused in the right place. 
But the longer that I drove and the more instruction that I received, the more, the more I came to realize that if I focused my attention further ahead, then I was able to stay in my own lane and I was able to be more stable. And in a similar way, uh, Solomon here is telling his son to uh, focus his attention on something. Specifically, if we look at verse 21, he says, do not lose sight of these. And what is Solomon's son not supposed to lose sight of? Sound wisdom and discretion. And so he tells his son, give special attention, focus on sound wisdom and discretion. And then in the rest of the passage, he actually goes on to describe some uh, fruits that result from having the right focus. Some fruits that result from having the right focus. And so in this, this section where we are right now in chapter 3, this is the third of three my son discourses or my son teaching sessions. And uh, that's a pretty common, uh, pretty common thing where you'll see... Uh, sections in Proverbs split up by the phrase, my son. And so in chapter three, there's actually three of these my son discourses. And so the first one was about the character of someone who has been uh, transformed by the teachings of wisdom. That was three weeks ago. The, uh, the second one was about the value of wisdom. And then the one that we're studying tonight is about the blessings of possessing wisdom, the blessings of possessing Wisdom. So our main theme, what we're focusing on and, and what I want you to take home with you is this, is that if you focus on wisdom, then your life will bear fruit. If you focus on wisdom, then your life will bear fruit. And what I mean by focus on wisdom, I mean focus on growth in wisdom. Focus on growing in the wisdom that God provides. In chapter 2, verse 6, we saw that wisdom... Uh, it comes from the Lord. It says the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And so the uh, focus on growth and wisdom is seeking to have a greater understanding of God's wisdom that he has communicated through his word. And that is how you grow in wisdom is by studying the communication that God has given to us, particularly in the Proverbs, but also in all of Scripture. And so, if your life will bear fruit by focusing on growing in wisdom, then the question that we should be asking is, what sort of fruit do we see in the life of someone who is growing in wisdom? What sort of fruit do we see? Well, the first thing that we see is that someone who is growing in wisdom bears fruit, the fruit of confidence in the Lord. The first fruit that we see is that someone who's growing in wisdom uh, has a, a, a growing confidence in the Lord. The second thing that we see is that this person who is seeking to grow in wisdom also uh, lives in conformity to the Lord's will. Conformity to the Lord's will. And the third fruit that we see is that such a person experiences closeness with the Lord. So confidence in the Lord, conformity to his will, 
and closeness with him. Okay, let's talk about the first of those real quick. Confidence in the Lord. Look with me at verse 21, where he says, My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Now drop down to verse 23, and he says, Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. Look at verse 26 there, where he says, For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Verse 24, he says, If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. And so it's interesting. So Solomon here, the first, the first fruit that it, it, you see exemplified in the life of someone who is focusing on growing in wisdom is there's kind of a calm confidence in the Lord. You see that in, he says, you know, for those of you who are afraid of the dark, anybody afraid of the dark? Don't be ashamed to admit it. I am sometimes, right? Sometimes I'll take my dog out at night and I'm like, I hope there's no murderers out here, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> that's why, that's why, like, if I, if, I, if, I, if I take my dog out at night and I'm wearing my sweatpants, I don't have my knife on me. I'm like, I'm going to die. I better go change my pants. <laughs> It is, a little like it is a little sketchy for sure. Um, <laughs> and so, but we see this kind of this calm confidence of someone who is growing in wisdom. Why? Because they're familiar with divine communication. They're familiar with the things that God has said, the words of his mouth, according to 2.6. And they've sought to understand and to apply the teachings of God in their life. But not only that, we see that such a person who is seeking to walk in wisdom is actually someone who has a relationship with God. We see this uh, specifically in verse 26. He says, for the Lord will be your confidence. That is the proper name for God, Yahweh. And we talked about this the first week, that when that word is used, the implication is that's God's covenantal name. That's a name that the Lord reveals to those who have a relationship with him. And so this, this individual who's seeking to grow in wisdom is one who is also at the same time growing in their relationship with God. And it, when you come to know God as father, you know that he is not only a provider, but he is also a protector. God not only provides for you, but he also protects you. And so this is why the person who uh, is, you know, growing in wisdom, this is why you see the fruit of confidence in the Lord. It's because they know the Lord. They know that he is sovereign over all things, that God created everything simply by speaking a word, and all of creation came into existence. They know that that God is their father. And so because of that, they have confidence in that God. And this confidence is not like the confidence that you see in our culture that says, you know, be confident in yourself, you know, you can, you can do it. Uh, that's not the type of confidence we see. It's, it is a humble reliance upon and a trusting in God, not in self, but in God. 
Now, confidence is, uh, is interesting because at the most basic level, what confidence is, is simply trust. In fact, the, the Latin phrase uh, that our English word confidence comes from, it's confide, which means with faith, with, with trust, right? And if you have trust in something or someone, that means that you are entrusting yourself to that particular thing, whether that be a person or Luke sitting in a chair that he believes will hold him up, right? I mean, there's, there's at the most basic level, confidence means trust. I heard a story recently about a, uh, a uh, sheriff's department in Florida, which this is kind of a, kind of a funny story. Um, where so they they sprung for a really a really fancy uh, rug to put in their lobby. Okay, and so they wanted to do something wanted to do something that that kind of expressed their their faith, right? And so they they paid like five hundred bucks for this really nice rug that had the inscription "In God We Trust." Okay, so they they get the rug, shows up, they put it out in their lobby, and uh, looks looks great, or so they think. But after a couple months, someone came along and said, why does your rug say, in dog we trust? <laughs> so what people didn't realize is that the D and the G had actually been switched. And so instead of saying, in God we trust, this rug said, in dog we trust. Kind of sad that it took, uh, kind of took a couple months for them to realize it. Um, but that... that concept, that idea of swapping things out for God and placing confidence in other things, it doesn't just happen like that. It's not, uh, we do that ourselves in our own lives. We put confidence maybe in our friends. We put confidence in uh, life staying the same, keeping the same situation. We put confidence maybe in the person that we're dating, thinking that they'll, you know, be everything that we need. But the reality is, is if you put your confidence in anything other than God, whatever you're putting your ultimate confidence in, it will fail you. If you put your confidence in a person, you'll realize they're a sinner very quickly. If you put confidence in yourself, you'll realize that at some point down the line, there's going to be something that you do not have the ability to do, and it's going to shatter your view of yourself. If you could put confidence in your intellect when you get old, guess what? Your mind doesn't work the way that it used to. If you put confidence in your physical ability, guess what? You won't be able to swim the way that you used to when you were younger. <laughs> Just teasing you. Um, but if you put confidence in these things, ultimately they will let you down. And so what you need to do if you want to be wise, is put your confidence in the Lord. Put your confidence in the one who formed you in the womb, who knew you before he even created anything. He knew exactly who Landon was, and he's, he guided that whole process of you being formed in the womb, and he uh, brought you into this world, and he's written all of the days of your life in his book before you even lived one of them. The Lord is the one who carries us all the way through this life. The Lord is the one who protects and provides. And so Solomon here, what he's doing is he's saying, 
don't put your confidence in other things. That is foolish. But the person who is wise puts their confidence in the Lord. And they're not afraid of the dark. They're not afraid of the, uh, the difficulties of life or the tragedies that may befall because they know that the Lord is the one who walks through those things with them. So my question for you is, as you survey your life and think about the different things that you put confidence in, what would you say you run to when the heat gets turned up? Do you run to some sort of a sport? You go and, and just pour yourself into that, and uh, that's, that's what you know, brings you comfort. Do you run to food, and maybe that's the thing? You go to that, and you just eat your feelings through ice cream and, and all of these different things. Or maybe you put your confidence in another person, and you run to a person instead of going to your Father in heaven. I don't know what you put your confidence in, but I can guarantee you that every single person in this room, leaders included, we all struggle with this, of putting our confidence in things that do not deserve our confidence. The Lord is the one who deserves absolute trust. And so the first fruit that we see is confidence in the Lord. This is what a wise person does. He or she puts their confidence in God. But not only that, we see that the wise person also uh, is, has a growing conformity to the will of the Lord. Look at verse 27 there, where he says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, and when it is in your power to do it. Verse 28, Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come again tomorrow, I will give it when you have it with you. 29, Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. 30, do not contend with a man for no reason. Verse 31, do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. So you have all of these prohibitions, these things saying do not, do not, do not, do not, do not. These remind us of the commandments of the Lord in other passages. And so what Solomon is doing in, in each of these commandments is he, if you notice, all of them Almost all of them are centered around loving your neighbor as yourself. Did you catch that? All of them are centered around loving your neighbor as yourself. And so this, this individual who's seeking, uh, who's focusing on growing in wisdom will have a genuine love and care for the people that are around them and the people that are in their lives. And there's really just some practical things that, uh, that this passage offers to us. He says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power. James actually picks up this same verse in uh, chapter 4, verse 17. And he says, to the one who knows what he is supposed to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. In other words, if you have the capacity, if the Lord puts someone in your path and you can serve them and you can bless them, but you choose not to, you're not really exemplifying the love of Christ in that moment, are you? 
You're not exemplifying a conformity to the Lord's will. We were just talking about this in Roots. Uh, shameless plug for Roots, you should come once a month. Um, we were just talking about Roots. Uh, we are talking about this at Roots, this idea of humility and service. And Carissa gave us a, a really insightful tip is that that's part of what it means to image God. It's part of what it means to reflect his character is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so there's some really, as you read through these verses, there's some really practical things that we can pull out. But really what it all boils down to is the person who is wise is going to increasingly live a life of obedience to the Lord's will. And this really kind of rubs against uh, our own uh, sinful nature, our own desires, um, there's a poem that uh, was written by a guy named Ernest, uh, William Ernest Henley, and he wrote the poem Invictus. Have you guys ever read this poem before? So in the poem Invictus, it's really all this, it's kind of this uh, rah, 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 I'm the best kind of mentality. But the end of the poem, he says this. He says, It matters not how straight the gate, how charged With punishments, the scroll, I am the master of my fate, and I am the captain of my soul. In other words, Henley is saying that he is in charge of his life, and he is the one who calls the shots. And this is the opposite of growing in wisdom. The fool is the one who says, I'm in charge. The one who is wise says, God, you're in charge. To quote John Cooper, you're my boss. It's only an inside joke for a couple of people. But um, the one who is wise essentially says, God, you rule my life. I want your will to be the one that prevails, which also goes back to what we were just talking about when we were talking about prayer in Roots. And we see this exemplified in the heart of Christ when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's, he's uh, a in the process of being betrayed by Judas and he's about to be arrested. He's going to the cross and he's, he's so uh, overwhelmed in this moment. It says these sweating great drops of blood and he cries out to God and Jesus says, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But then he gives this phrase and he says, yet not my will, but your will be done. Jesus gives us a totally different perspective than Henley does. Jesus says, I have come to do your will. I've come to do the Father's will. And yet, so often, we are more interested in doing our own thing so often more interested in uh, being the captain of our own soul, being the one who decides the course of our lives, that often we don't take the time to ask God, what do you want for my life? What is your will? So 
So my question for you, though, is as you think about this passage and the fact that one of the fruits of someone who is, is focusing on growing in wisdom is uh, they are also exemplifying a greater conformity to the Lord's will, would you genuinely be able to say that it is your desire to become more and more conformed to the Lord's will? Would you genuinely be able to say to God right now, Lord, help me to be more obedient. Help me to be more obedient tomorrow than I was today. Augustine is, uh, he's an early church father, but he's famous for uh, just really being honest about a particular struggle with sin. In fact, he wrote a whole book called Confessions. Um, and uh, in, in the Confessions, he talks about how there's a particular sin that he's struggling with. And he said that in, in the midst of his praying, he really honestly would say it this way, Lord, I want you to deliver me from this sin but not yet. I want you to deliver me from it, but not yet, because I like this sin just a little bit too much. And I think, honestly, a lot of times that's our attitude as well, is we like to have our way just a little bit more than we want God to have his way. So ask yourself that, Do you genuinely, from the bottom of your heart, do you want your life to be more and more in line with God's will? Or do you want to be the captain of your own soul? Because if it's the latter, you're acting foolish. And... For There is another category, though, people who genuinely want to follow the Lord's will, but sometimes you struggle. And there's good news for you. The Lord Jesus Christ came and he lived a perfect, sinless life. And he always lived in conformity to the will of God because he knew that you and I would not be able to live up to that standard. But not only that, then he died on a cross to bear the penalty for our selfishness, for our uh, moments when we choose our will over God's. And so the gospel is always what we need to come back to, always the hope that our hearts need in those moments when we look within ourselves and we see maybe we don't want to be conformed to the Lord's will. It's as you look at Jesus on the cross, living in perfect submission to the Lord's will, that you think, wow, if he was willing to do that for me and display that kind of love for me, how can I not want to display the same kind of love for him? And so it's a response, ultimately, to Christ's love and to the gospel that creates a desire for a deeper conformity to the will of the Lord. And finally, we see uh, the last, uh, last blessing here, the last fruit, if you will, in the lives of 
those who are seeking to grow in wisdom. And this is found in verse 32, where he says, For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. Now, this phrase, in his confidence, is really interesting. So Solomon tells his son that those who are seeking to grow in wisdom experience a closeness with the Lord that is not experienced by those who are not seeking to grow in wisdom, that is not experienced by those who do not have a relationship with God. Hear me very clearly. If you do not want to grow in your relationship with God, you will not have a closeness with the Lord. If that is not your deepest desire, you will always feel far from him. And so we see here that the fruit of the life of someone who's seeking to grow in wisdom, that, that person, because they are interacting with God, they're in a relationship with God, we see that they actually grow in closeness. In fact, um, the, the, uh, the phrase that's in the Bible there where it says, they are in his, uh, but the upright are in his confidence, uh, it, you could also translate it, but he is intimate with the upright. He is, he is near, he is he's, he's close with, with those who are seeking to know him and to live according to his will. And we, we kind of know what this means because we really have like three categories of people in our lives that aren't, you know, aren't friends or that aren't uh, family members. We've got, you know, the category of acquaintances. Now, an acquaintance, I'm, I'm guessing, Gracie, you probably wouldn't tell an acquaintance much as far as secrets or things that are going on in your life, right? Yeah, those, those people are like the outer, you know, they're on the, the outside. You kind of know them, but you don't trust your heart with them. And then you've got friends. Now, friends are kind of a little bit closer in. You might share some things that are going on in your life, but you won't, you won't share everything. You don't, you're not quite ready to, to, to bear your soul, as it were, to this particular group of friends. But then you have the inner circle. You have the best friends, right? The ones who are just like, they're with you through thick and thin and you share everything with those people. You talk about the, the things that, that make you sad. You talk about the sins that you struggle with. You talk about everything with these people. They know you and you know them. That third category is the kind of relationship that is being talked about here. It's this really close, intimate friendship between the person who is seeking to grow in wisdom and the Lord. That's the type of closeness that is being described here. And so Solomon, he tells his son that this, this closeness with God is the fruit of a life that is seeking to grow in wisdom, that is focusing on growing in the wisdom of God. And Solomon actually calls this closeness in verse 33. He says that this is a sign of blessing. Now, the, the term blessing in the Bible is a covenantal term, okay? 
So a covenantal term means that when you enter into a covenant relationship with God, there are blessings for obedience and cursings for disobedience. And so what he's, what he's describing here is someone who is actively seeking to grow in their relationship with God, and that person experiences the blessing of having a deepening relationship with God. But not only that, he doesn't only call it a blessing. We see that in verse uh, 34, we see that the humble, that is the wise, he gives grace. So not only is this, uh, this, con- this being in the Lord's confidence uh, a sign of, of the Lord's blessing, but it is also a gift of grace that the Lord bestows upon those who are focusing on growing in wisdom, that is, those who are focusing on growing in their relationship with him. I had a, a conversation with someone one time. I, uh, Safeway story time, folks. Um, so I had a conversation with a uh, coworker when I worked at, at Safeway, and, and um, this person uh, was a practicing homosexual, um, but they had always believed in the existence of God and, and said that they had prayed on many occasions, but felt like the Lord never really reached out to them or spoke to them. And what I told this person is this, is that in order to experience uh, the peace of God, you must first admit your need for the grace of God. In order to experience the peace of God, you have to first uh, admit your need for the grace of God. In other words, you don't get to dictate the terms on which you approach God. God is the one who tells you how and when and what means you may have a relationship with him. And so this person, what they really wanted is they wanted to continue in their lifestyle. They didn't want to repent and turn from their sins. They just wanted to keep doing what they were doing and have the blessing of a relationship with a holy God. And that doesn't work. Why? Because a sinner who is outside of Christ, there is unresolved issues between God and that person. If that person is unrepentant, there is conflict between God and that individual. In fact, in Romans, it talks about the idea of the person who uh, is unrepentant. It says that they are actually at war with God. So how can you expect to have a relationship with someone that you have not dealt with the issues? It's like trying to, if you've ever been in conflict with somebody, and it's kind of like trying to pretend that it didn't happen or, you know, that it's not, you know, it's not that big of a deal. But we all know there's this weirdness, right? There's this tension. You've got to deal with it in order for the relationship to really be reconciled. And so closeness with the Lord always comes first through the doorway of repentance. Always comes through, through admitting our sin recognizing our need for grace and forgiveness and offering our lives to the Lord. That's the only way. 
So my question for you is, do you want to experience closeness with God? Is that the strongest desire in your life? As you survey the ways that you spend your time and the ways that you spend your money, be honest with yourself. Is that really what you want? Do you want to be close with God? Or would you rather do other things? As I said at the beginning, if that's not the strongest desire of your life, you will always feel at a distance from God. You see, God doesn't play second fiddle. God doesn't ride the bench of your life and wait for you to put him in the game. God says, I will have all of your heart or I will have none of it. So ask yourself that. Do you really want a relationship with God? And if you find yourself giving more time and attention and energy to things other than your relationship with God, the, the answer is quite simple. Repent. Turn from it. Say, God, I'm sorry. Help me. Help me to love you the way that you deserve to be loved. And we have an amazing promise from God that when we do that, he says this, come near to God and he will come near to you. In other words, when you repent from your sins, when you give your life to Christ, God doesn't slap you upside the head and say, about time, dumb, dumb. Instead, he opens his arms and he says, welcome, I've been waiting for you. So just like your focus when you're driving is important, not focusing on the wrong thing, but focusing in the right direction, so also in life your focus is important whether or not you are focusing on growing in wisdom and growing in your relationship with God will have a direct impact on your experience of God. And so as we focus our attention on growing in wisdom and, and seeking to understand the things that he has said to us, our lives will bear fruit. We will become the kind of people who are confident in the Lord. We will be confident that he is our provider and our protector. We will grow in, a, in a, a greater conformity to his will. And we will experience a closeness with the Lord that we have never known before. And so seeking to know the Lord emphasizing growing in your relationship with him is absolutely essential. Making that the strongest desire of your life is crucial. Seeking to know Christ more deeply will help you to act more wisely. Let's pray.